All right. Here we go. All right, all right, all right. Ooh, ooh. It's students. It's time for medicine. F1 pot. F1 pot. F1 Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I hope you all are doing well and are wrapping up your finals. Um, we're technically done this week at Boston University, but I don't know about Zach. How are you doing? I am good. Um, so definitely really looking forward to the summer. But mm -hmm. um, right now it's in a weird time when I think for PhD students, we're also finishing up coursework we're stepping into the summer which is typically where the productivity spike is um mm -hmm. so basically i think most phd students get most of their work done throughout the year in the summer um oh. but also just trying to enjoy the the spring here what mm -hmm. it's called in boston is you know one day is 80 degrees the other day is 50 so today is actually really cold yeah yeah that is boston spring for you you either yeah. have winter or summer or a blend of both um yeah but yeah, so um, for the past week, I, you know, was just preparing for my qualifying exam in the summer, but also bought my tickets to go home to China. I have not been back since 2020, so I'm super excited to be home wow. to my grandparents. I think that's the main focus of the trip, uh, but also renewing visa, which is one of the dreading process of yeah. all of our international students. So yeah doing that uh, I like the 160 DS 160 and then go to oh embassy. Yeah. I'm just like, having nightmares thinking about it but hopefully it'll be a smooth process and I'll be back in the U.S. in no time. Yeah we're sending prayers for you Zach and I'm also in a similar boat. I haven't been home in like a while as well and I was planning on going and I'm still planning on going but ironing out the logistics is so difficult especially with like so much going on. We have graduation this weekend at BU and me and some of my friends were just reflecting on the past two years, which honestly has like flown by, but also like, I don't know, like I remember some tougher times, you know, when like, I yeah. wish that I was at the end. So I don't want to discount that and think that, oh yeah, yeah. like it was like yesterday. It, it's definitely flown by, but at the same time, I still remember some of the struggles, you know, it's been a journey, mm -hmm. but I'm excited to like, you know, start my new chapter, very nervous about it. I was just like looking at my to-do list and it just keeps on piling up. I'm wrapping up my semester. So everything's kind of like at a peak. I was very nervous and like just, you know, like very anxious about it. So I wanted to be open and honest with our listeners too, that it's okay to feel those feelings. And if it's okay that you might feel a little lost in your thoughts and your emotions, especially when you're transitioning and that's totally normal. Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, so I'm sure many of you can relate to that. And I just want to let you know that you're not alone. But well, we hope that listening to our podcast, especially this episode, is going to be a welcome escape for you. And with that in mind, we brought an amazing guest um, with us this week for you all. Her personality, bubbliness, and just warmth that shines through when you hear her talk is just so soothing and exactly what I needed to listen to today. And I'm talking about Von Guy, who is a rising fourth-year medical student at Stanford. She's an inspiration to many and a dear friend of Shade, who I'm sure you guys remember. Yeah, so in this episode, we're very fortunate to talk to one guy who is not only a medical student, but also a storyteller, writer, and also a poet. 
she has a very multifaceted life and I really appreciate it going back to this episode and listening to it while I edit it and learn so much and just her journey you can hear all her observant eyes and unique life experiences and that all of those have been weaved uh, into her creativity and all of these things combined into numerous stories that she has published articles and poems. We also got to hear about her experiences of living in six different countries and how she was influenced by her father, an animal science researcher, to pursue biology and medicine. We will also hear about her advocacy work with students with disability and chronic illness and how this has enriched her understanding of caring for the most vulnerable populations in the hospital. But without me revealing too much, since there are still so many gems in this episode, let's dive into it. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the F1 podcast. Uh, this week, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Wangai Mambo, and she is a second year medical student at Stanford. She's actually my housemate. So as we record this episode, we're uh, in separate rooms, but we're very excited to have her on the podcast. We also have Raghavi returning with us this week, and um, I think she did an amazing job with last week's episode. So excited to see you know her become a bigger part of the team and um, we also have Zach here with us who is also one of our co-hosts no big deal but <laughs> oh. oh my presence is not needed I can you know I can log off please and thank but, you okay <laughs> wow that it's a lot of love coming from my co-host for one season already too much love so I'll stick around I'll stick around so shall we get started maybe with the first round of introduction, especially uh, maybe we can start with one guy who's our honorable interviewee today. So do you want to tell us a little bit about you uh, besides what Shade has introduced? Let's start with some maybe something interesting besides like tell me about yourself. That's a standard in my school question, but also uh, tell us a little bit about you outside of school. Sure. Uh, I'm so excited to be on this podcast. Jade talks about it all the time. So I was like, when is she going to ask me to be on it? And here I am. Um, so uh, I'm from Zimbabwe. Uh, I was kind of born all over the place. I spent some time in the UK as well as in Trinidad and Tobago. And I did my undergraduate at New York University in Abu Dhabi. So being at med school in the US is the first time I've lived in the US for a long time. Outside of school, I really love creative writing. So I do a lot of poetry, slam poetry. Um, I write short stories. I like to crush my partner at volleyball because I play <laughs> varsity volleyball. And also just like cook great meals with my awesome housemates. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. So how many countries have you been in? I've lived in six different countries. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. What is the biggest cultural shock when you came to the U.S.? It's kind of interesting. I think the U.S. culture leaks kind of worldwide because of media and the things we watch and we consume. I just think it's like the... <laughs> there's like a, a certain collectivism that I'm used to in the other cultures that I've lived in like you you kind of like look out for each other like you go out on the road and you play with the neighbor's kids um, and here it's like you can go to a grocery store and like no one looks at you <laughs> Uh, and I found that kind of strange. Um, and it's, I realized over time it's very different depending on which part of the U.S. you're in. But I do miss that sense of just like rocking up to someone in the middle of the street and like having a conversation and not it being awkward at first. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's that's real interesting. Yeah, so six countries is a lot. I want <laughs> to know like how I don't know, like as you grew up, you moved around, you know, a lot as um, you know, I know from knowing you personally, but I'm curious to know how that influences how you identify culturally, ethnically, and how that has shaped, you know, who you are. Yeah, I think because I'm like both of my parents are Zimbabwean and they taught me how to speak Shana, which is our national language. I identify very strongly as Zimbabwean because even though we were in different places, it was kind of like transplanting our little Zimbabwean household all over the place. But I do think it's been helpful when I have moved, like taking bits and pieces of cultures that I've enjoyed, like just like when Trinidad and Tobago people knew how to relax not take things too seriously and kind of absorbing those bits and pieces um, as a part of me or like the strong kind of family ethics of like a lot of the countries I lived in in Southern Africa still stick with me today so at the core I'm Zimbabwean with like a little bit of spices from all over and that's really lovely that's really cool. If of the six countries that you've been to, or like that you've lived in, actually, which one would you recommend that someone go visit and like why? Uh, I would say South Africa, uh, which is where my family currently lives right now. Actually, it's just this, it's such a diverse place. Like you can go from beach to like snowy mountains to like desert um, in just like a couple of hours drive um, so definitely there and if you do come by let me know because my parents are empty nesters right now so they'd be happy to host <laughs> that's so cool I actually have been to South Africa but that was when I was younger and I remember like I think they have like an amazing cardiology hospital where the first heart transplant was performed I think if I'm not wrong and yeah. I just remember like looking at it when I was little and I was like wow that's so cool I think that's where I learned about transcend. Yeah, it was incredible. So I definitely echo that. Yeah, I want to go off of that. Like you said, your family currently live in South Africa. Where did you grow up? And, and can you tell us a little bit of who you are like as a kid? And have you like drastically changed into a, you know, teenager and a young adult? Or you like stayed pretty much the same? Yeah, so up to I was until I was five, uh, I, we stayed in Zimbabwe and then we moved to the UK between like ages five and seven and then and Austria for a year. And then we moved back to Swaziland, now called Eswatini, which is where I spent most of my primary school years. And as a kid, I would say I was like very introverted. I love to live in my head like I could go a couple hours without talking to anyone and like I read lots and lots of books and I made up stories and all of that um I think as I aged I started <laughs> I appreciated people more and I let them into my world and I still think I preserve some of those elements like I I do need like my me time um at the end of the week at the end of the day and I still love storytelling but I am more I think more um confident in myself than I was as a kid and like willing to do things that scare me whereas I think I was more in my comfort zone as a kid yeah Tell us a little bit more about the storytelling aspect of it. And I have some insider info that I will say, I'll let you say to people. 
Yeah, so um, I've always written, but then the first time in college, my friend was like, why don't you ever perform your poetry? So we were at this like place in Abu Dhabi and there I was like, my hands are shaking, my heart is like about to fall out my chest and I'm like performing this piece I've written about, I think it was about like, being moved around the world and the kind of impact that it had on me. Uh, it was the first time I performed and I loved it. It scared the crap out of me, but I loved it. And so I kept doing it. And now Shade's actually is a group that organizes like open mic nights every month or so. So I've become a regular there in med school and it's been really nice to come together with other creative people um, in the med school and realize like, I mean, some of our work has nothing to do with medicine, almost all of it really. And uh, that's spectacular. Like you need that kind of safe, like safe haven when things get hectic. <laughs> I started to realize a lot of our like international med students, pre-meds are very creative and like arty. Uh, just a shameless plug for Shade. She recently started uh, a YouTube channel. And I, I think there's just so much, so much room for you know, showcasing all of our wonderful talents and F1 doctors. So maybe we should organize some open mic nights. We should do something like social gatherings online or in person for the F1 communities. We'll definitely invite you to come on open mic night, share us with your stories and your poetries. I'm going to write that to my to-do list. <laughs> I love that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, And there's also something about this, uh, do you want to talk about doximity? Do you want to tell the people like your about your publisher? Or do you... <laughs> sure, today is like casting light on me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I have been able to publish a couple of pieces. Uh, one is on doximity that I wrote about my grandfather passing away. I also performed that piece in um, a medical we have something called medicine and the muse at Stanford, which is like their creative symposium. And I've also managed to get a piece published in the Klingenstein conference uh, for child psychiatry, publishing a personal essay about, um, as a kid, I actually had childhood epilepsy and just kind of reflecting on that experience for me and my family. So it's been great. I, I actually never write with the intention to publish, but I think a lot of people around me thankfully see the value in what I write. And so they push me often. Um, and it's been great uh, to, to like hear people say, oh, that piece really lighted in my heart or like my grandpa died too. And we get to like connect on levels. I don't think I would be able to in regular conversations. So it's been great. <laughs> You think if you were not pursuing medicine, you would see yourself as a full-time writer or like um, a creative worker? Oh yeah, I used to joke that if I hadn't gotten into med school, I would have taken like two years off to just like travel and like write. But the, the fun thing about being here at least is that I still get those opportunities. Like if I wanted to take a year off to write, I, I could, I'd still do medicine. And so the fact that I can do both things that I love, sometimes it's hard, I won't lie, but it, it's good to have that opportunity to do so. <laughs> Yeah, because I don't think you took a gap year either, right? Like you went straight to medical school? Yeah, I did go straight through medical school, yeah. You get to do both, which is awesome. Um, not only thinking about doing both in parallel, do you, how do you see creative writing and thinking about writing, creativity and art feed into medicine? And, and how has medicine benefited you in creative writing? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting actually. I think what I love about talking to patients is they're like storytelling to me basically, and it's amazing to be part of that narrative that they're trying to share to me and. It, it impacts me in ways that I can't immediately process during my encounter with the patient. And so I get to get away, like think about their story. I can like write out my reactions to their stories and like, you know, my own personal thoughts about them, about the world, about anything. And, and I think it helps me process a lot of um, sometimes like the emotional burden that medicine gives you. Um, so also like a form of like therapy and well-being. So definitely it, they're both intertwined um, in, in, for me at least, yeah. I think that it's so beautiful when the two things that you're in, or the multiple things that you're interesting, they collide in some way that just feels really organic and allows you to be your true self. Um, I want to take things like a couple steps back to, you know, you just shared with us some personal experiences with the healthcare system or with dealing with illness, you know, with yourself or a loved one. And I'm curious to know how, how did your interest in medicine start? You know, was it related to those personal experiences that you shared? Uh, actually, no. Um, so my dad is a uh, animal health science researcher. And so we spent a lot of time together, like on the farm, like looking at animals and like, like him trying to explain like experiments to six year old me. And I think he actually cultivated a lot of my love for like science and physiology. Um, and I just didn't know like whether I wanted to pursue a career in research, which is what I'd mostly been exposed to for my dad, like physiological research, or I wanted to like, be with patients and then I got to college and I did the research thing and I spent like hours and hours in the basement with mice and I was like this is great I love it like I love being nerdy and dorky but I need to see patients <laughs> um, and so ultimately I think uh, that's how my decision was shaped but definitely my dad is the one that kick-started it. Yeah, so to follow up on that, like, how did you know you needed to see patients? Like, how did you know doing the most experiments alone was not enough for you? What was it? What was that insight that you had that keyed you into saying, hmm, I feel like the clinical side is where I want to add some clinical experience to this? Yeah, I think um, research is a lot of delayed gratification. Um, like the experiments you do, I think there was a study that said like 2% of experiments actually result in some like outcome for patients. Um, and I was like, I, I, I love this research and I could do it, but I don't think I just want my impact to be like, two percent maybe like if I managed to finish everything but when I taught children for example or like interface with patients uh during like some of my internships it was like the stories that put all that research into context and actually like motivated me to work harder on like my thesis and like all the other things that were related to medicine but not uh, associated with direct patient care. So I realized like I needed to have both together so that they could act synergistically. Cause if I just saw, if I just did research I think I would lose sight of why I was doing it and then just get caught up in that like ladder of academia where you're trying to publish the next paper, the next paper, the next paper. But then if I only saw patients I would not be able to, you know kind of like 
innovate anything that could help them also in the long term. And I, I love seeing patients, but I also want to think about their future and like how I can also touch that. And so I think medicine was like a way to bring those two together. I was going to say, um, you were able to bring those pieces together, like in four years of college. And I know for a lot of people now, you know, medicine is becoming like going into medicine is becoming like the bar is just set so much higher. And so it's incredible that you were able to just to figure all of that out and to do it in four years. And then to also figure out how to navigate that as an international student. Um, can you talk to us a little bit more about how you were able to do that? Because I think that would be helpful to a lot of people listening. Yeah, I think I was actually really alone throughout my college experience. Like there was only two people in my class who wanted to go into medicine and also not being in a university where, um, you know, like I studied outside of the US, even though it was like a US related university. So no one really understood the system, but I think the general principles our career development center told us was like, you know, research a lot and research early. And so I like, prolifically read like all the websites, all the reputable websites like AAMC, trying to figure out what is the best, like, how do I start to explore these fields? Like, what do I need? Um, like, what, what kind of experiences should I be looking for? But also ultimately not making it about the end goal and really finding like things that resonated with me. And so um, just like looking out for those opportunities, like, is there a newsletter? Are there professors that you can talk to? Are there people who are already in the field that you have access to? Like everyone knows a person who knows a person. And I think tapping into those networks uh, was really helpful for me. And I got to talk to students who were already here and kind of ask about their experiences. Yeah, and then I think other things, just like being um, kind of gentle with yourself. I think there were times where I feel like I could have lost sight of why I was doing it by like looking for the next internship, the next opportunity. But uh, a lot of things happened organically. Like I loved working with children. And so when I studied away in New York, I got to work teaching like sexual health in public schools. And that's something I talked about during like my interviews, but it's not like I sought it out for the purposes of it. It's just something I love to do. So I think there's always gonna be things that resonate with your interest and just like keeping a watchful eye out for those. And, and also being actively reflective on your experiences and like writing the things you love, the things you didn't. And that way for you, you, you have a way to process your experiences but then when it comes to the application process all of that is already there for you to pick at and use sorry if that was a bit long <laughs> oh, that was awesome because you actually anticipated my question and you answered it without me asking i was gonna ask <laughs> how do you because as a med student or pre-med student you are constantly in the struggle of i need to check off the box but i also need to be true to my passion a lot of times those are at conflict because you only have 24 hours. You know, my question was, how do you do that? How do you balance it? And you perfectly an answered it. It will also benefit you in the end when you're writing your personal statement is everything naturally just come together if you are true to your passion. Because there are so many of my mentees who didn't even realize when I look at their resume, everything come together to a story. And that was such a beautiful feeling. But there are also mentees that I, you know, we talked about it and seems like everything's are 
somewhat separate and it's really hard to put a unifying theme into it. So that was a perfect answer to it. But I just want to bring it forward, maybe in 10 to 15 years when you are a practicing physician. What, what is your ideal like career like? You know, imagine waking up at, I don't know, four, five, <laughs> bring that up. But what is your ideal day like in terms of your day, your career? What do you want it to be like? Yeah, I would love to go for a run before going to work <laughs> for like an hour. And I love exercise. Um, and then also have a lavish breakfast. Uh, <laughs> and then go into the clinic and see patients for pretty much most of the day, let's say until like 2, 3 p.m. Right now, my interest is in interventional radiology. So maybe do some procedures, work with medical students. I really love to teach, actually. Um, and I've done so in various capacities. Uh, and so I would love to have a course where I taught clinical things, but also maybe like taught the intersection of like clinical storytelling or something like that in the evening. And I think after a while of being a physician, I do really want my time to be like concentrated in the experiences that I love the most. Like I don't want to do a lot of administrative work. <laughs> um, and I, I want my time to be based in the procedures and, and the patients that I love, teaching and passing on knowledge and hopefully some community service because I don't think I would be here without the, the villages that contributed to me getting here. So uh, I think that's what I would love in my day. And do you have a preference of like where that would take place, your ideal work life? Would that be in the US, back home? Where would that be? Yeah, I think I would stay here for a couple of years just until I'm established. And then I would love to go to South Africa, actually, and um, contribute there. Um, I've been having like this mid-quarter life crisis about my like specialty selection. I'm like, okay, like, is will this be useful to the community I want to serve? Is it like just flashy, but won't be translatable? And so um, even now, like, I, I'm really like, torn as I choose because I know ultimately like I, I want to do something that will have impact in like places that um, may be less resourced or have different resources rather yeah I feel like as you were speaking like you were talking about what you want to do from so many different perspectives and I think it's important for the people listening in to recognize that medicine alone is not like your entire life and so it's really great that you incorporate other aspects like I like to get up in the morning and run like I have to have a, like a, I like to have a really nice breakfast and I can confirm she's the first person to get up in the apartment and also makes like a really nice breakfast like pancakes I always see pancakes with bananas and stuff so in thinking about the next uh, five to ten years of your life what would that look like? You've kind of given us a, a little bit of insight, but um, tell, us a, tell us a little bit more. Sure. So right now I am hoping to take a year actually in med school to uh, do a master's in clinical research and epidemiology. Um, just because I, after doing some research projects here, I realized I want to get more technical expertise in that area. And so in the immediate future, that's what I hope to do. And then once I graduate, probably pursue a residency in interventional radiology. I'd love to stay on the West Coast because, you know, sunlight <laughs> um, and beach, also access to 
city. So that would be spectacular. And then from there, I'm pretty open to what happens next. I do know I want to work with populations that are diverse uh, and have an opportunity to, to learn from those populations, um, both in the like from their disease, but also from their like social circumstances uh, and see that aspect, which I felt I haven't seen as much at least as of yet, uh, except for like, you know, when I go outside of the hospital uh, and interact with people there. And what else? I would love to have published my book of short stories that I'm working on right now. And also just like have great experiences with my like classmates and friends. Cause I know once we hit residency, like we all disperse, but medicine is such an intense experience that um, like you can easily forget to live life. So I hope like sprinkled in there are like some moments we won't forget and some adventures uh, we may not be able to take again as, as we age. Um, yeah, I hope that answers it. Let me know if there's like a, a specific uh, questions related to it. I did have a follow-up question on, on that. And since you're a writer, I was just curious, how would you title the next chapter of your life? You did give us a little bit of a sneak peek on what that looks like, but if you were to title it, this mm -hmm. being the next chapter of your life, like what would you say? Uh, commas, not periods, <laughs> uh, mostly because I think when people think about their next, next couple of years, it's like very stage-like, like, okay, I'll finish this and then move on to this stage. And so you're always working to some, um, ultimate goal. But I think it, for me, if I think about commas, it's like, it takes the weight off of each stage and allows me to enjoy the experience and the process as opposed to like running towards the full stop at the end. So yeah, commas, not periods. <laughs> Looking like a true writer. That was, that was amazing. I think I need to caption or something. <laughs> I, I think we just found the title of the, this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really powerful statement and especially in a lifelong careers like this think about medicine, you never get to the end. And just, and I think partially was one of my life lessons is enjoy what you do now, stay in the comma and like love what you do and be passionate. And then at the end, you know, when you get to like, you know, in the end, what makes you happy is not where you achieve and how many hurdles you have overcome, but like the process. So that is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about Stanford, uh, since you have been there for two years now, and our Shade is also there. What is one of the best things about Stanford, and what is one thing that surprised you the most at Stanford? I think the best thing about Stanford is the flexibility. I guess it's best, both the blessing and a curse is that you really get to um, have a lot of power on how you want to design your five years, and they kind of cultivate you to say you can be doctor and um, if you want if you don't want it's fine but I appreciate having the opportunity to be like oh I want to be doctor and um, you know athlete or doctor and um, researcher or doctor and storyteller and 
the, the beauty of that is that when you interact with your classmates, you can expand like your perspective of what medicine can be and really like design your own adventure. And as a person who can't pick, that can be very frustrating sometimes, but I've come to learn like to love it and embrace it. Um, and also that they give you the resources to do that uh, because you can dream all you want, but if you don't have the resources, it's hard to do all of that. So something that I've really appreciated. And what is one thing that surprised you the most? Uh, I guess how fractured medical training can be <laughs> um, in the sense that I imagined a lot more continuity with the people that lecture us and like kind of give us knowledge, but it seemed like you saw like a different face every day and it was hard to establish those relationships. Like I imagined mentor, like finding mentors to be a bit easier than it was and I have come to have them now but I think just you know like, I think that you have to like do a lot of work to find them on your own and and, and I was used to those things kind of happening organically so um, that was a surprise for me. Yeah one thing I want to shine a spotlight on in this episode that I don't think we've actually touched on in any of our episodes before is, you know, medical students with um, disabilities and chronic illnesses. And if that's something that you're willing to share on this platform, um, I'd love for us to talk about that. If not, we'll edit this part out. Um, but Wanga is one of the leaders for that student group here at Stanford. And I think um, that's one issue that we don't really talk about enough in medicine. So um, if you would like to, here's a soapbox that you can get on <laughs> to talk to people <laughs> about this really important issue. Yeah, I first got into... Um... The disability space. I I have chronic uh, headaches since uh, I was quite young. They're pretty well managed, and uh, for the most part, I get by pretty fine. But I think when I got to medical school, the additional like stressors kind of and like change in the environment and and intensive schedules kind of re-triggered them, and I had to find new ways to cope. Uh, but then you know there was like a lovely community of other students who have disabilities and chronic illnesses, and they were a huge support. Like I don't think I I, I didn't disclose it to anyone. I was just kind of there as an ally. And for the most part, you know, I am an ally. Um, like I don't like to take up space and consider myself in that category, but I love to advocate for students in that position because it's really hard to get accommodations in medicine. It's a it's it's even for people who are quote unquote able-bodied, like you're put through the ringer and you know, like you're your mental health suffers, your physical health suffers. So it, for me, it was really important to be in the part of the space to see like, what is my school doing to accommodate students who need those uh, accommodations and how can it do better? Cause you can always do better. And so it's, it's been tough. I, and I've realized a lot that we are not set out to, medicine is not set out um, to accommodate people. And so it's been something difficult to grapple with but I think what has been interesting is that it can like it just needs new technologies like people to alter like for example slowing down in the hallway for a student who has a mobility uh, disability or things like that but I hope that we continue to make space for it because I work with, sometimes I talk to patients who have these disabilities and they're like, I also want representation in this field. And I'm like, damn right, you deserve representation in this field. So <laughs> something I, I, I'm very interested in and um, hope to be able to continue to advocate for as I move forward in my career. 
Yeah, thank you for speaking on that. And you answered my follow-up question, which was um, if you foresee yourself also contributing to these issues on the patient side of things. Yeah, I took a wonderful class at Stanford where we actually learned how to, how to adjust exams, like physical exams and histories for people with uh, physical and intellectual disabilities. And that's not a mandatory class, that's an elective class. And I definitely think that should be taken by all medical students because I think patient diversity, just like student diversity, comes in different forms. And if we don't learn how to interact with that diversity, then we will inevitably fail those patients. And so part of the board has, as a whole, has been advocating for more of that kind of curriculum change to make sure like we're better equipped when we get to the clinical side. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I think especially experience with working with the patient population and becoming an, an, an ally in that space is going to be like super powerful and hopefully there will be more fostered like systemic change. That class sounds wonderful. Like, is there any highlights? Can you share like maybe one takeaway, like maybe one thing uh, for some of the medical students in the audience to, for them to like know about when they encounter a patient with disability? Yeah, I think um, there's a, a tendency for people to like group, for example, when people have like autism, let's say that people describe what people with autism are like, and then they make that the basis of how to interact and talk to them. But actually like everyone with a disability is so wildly different on that spectrum. And so I think it's just like asking one, like, how do you want me to refer to you? Not just by name, but like, what is what can you do like versus like what are you not able to do I think flipping that question is, is very powerful uh, and then also when people use their assistive devices considering them as their personal space and not just trying to touch it as if it's another object because to that person it, it may not be um, and so I think ultimately those are the big takeaways but it, it's encompassed over takeaways for any inter patient interaction which is just like ask your patient what they want like how do they want to be treated like what do they want to be called um what are their goals for the session that doesn't change when a patient has a disability yeah that's that's incredible and what you just said reminded me of this one class that i took in the in the space um i'm not sure if you're familiar with simi linton her work um my body politic but it we was just talking about how like depending on who you're interacting with, not everyone with a disability, whether it be physical or mental, can be put in a box. And uh, some people have preference for patient-centric or person-first language versus others really want, want to highlight and show their disabilities and want to put that first. So I, I just wanted to echo that. Like It's important to not put individuals with disabilities in a box and, and ask them what they, how they want to be addressed. So that was a really, really good point. Yeah, and as you were talking about that, I was thinking about, um, you know, a lot of that kind of lens can also be used to think about a lot of the work that is going on in global health, too. When people think about um, like foreign nations or like, for lack of a better term, like third world nations or developing countries, they think about it from like a deficit um, perspective, like what do these countries need that I can do? And they miss, really miss the opportunity to think about it from a strength-based perspective. Like what are some of the initiatives that the um, community is doing? Like what can you help them to achieve? Instead of like, 
what can you go and do and be like a superhero and write a paper about it and then become like really famous or like, you know? So I know you during um, college, you had a trip to Uganda. I don't know if you want to talk about how, you know, those experiences kind of um, allowed you to look at things through the, that kind of lens as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in my second year of college, we took a trip to Uganda uh, to look at a program that this village had started for themselves, which was a wash program. And essentially they were installing like taps made out of oil cans that they set up and that they designed and set up in their own community. And they needed some help with data processing and management just because they were short staffed. And so um, our class, we were learning about like um, water hygiene and so we came to just, like observe and we were taught by the the village uh, or like how this program works like how has it been effective what are they still trying to kind of alter uh, and I think it was the first time and I was really interested in global health in college but it was the first time the narrative was like flipped like they were so empowered and no one was coming in and telling them what to do and I think that's what made that project in that village really successful and so when I moved on from that class it was something that was just left in me that I, I was like wow it's so easy to absorb like these Eurocentric views of like how the world should be or how projects should be run. And I should be very actively making sure I don't um, like, I, I reject those and really listen to the people who are going to be affected by this study or this innovation. Like, do they actually like want it? Like, <laughs> um, and how is it impacting their lives? Um, so yeah, it was really impactful. And I cried a lot on that trip and thought a lot about my, my places of privilege, um, but all for, for the better, I think. It was a necessary reflection for me. Yeah, that's something that um, two of our previous guests have brought up who also happen to be Stanford students and my friends common theme on this podcast. <laughs> um, but Cyrus and Brian, who are also both very interested in global health, have brought this issue up. And I think um, for us as F1 doctors or future F1 doctors, it's something that's always on my mind. I mean, you know, because we're going, we're, we are from all over the world. So naturally we're like, we are global health. Like F1 doctors are global health. And um, a lot of us might be going back home. And so thinking about how we are going to use this education to be able to go to different parts of the world and to empower people from a strength-based perspective um, versus uh, an intervention that was designed abroad kind of perspective. Um, I think that's something that we should um, think about a little bit more, um, you know, as we as we grow as F1 doctors. I'm, I'm excited for the future because this something like this has never really existed before, but now there's this platform um, that's been around for two years now. And I think in, in a couple of years, you'll have practicing F1 doctors out there and there'll be this global network of um, physicians who will have to consider these things. So it's a topic that I, um, I'm going to try to make sure that we talk a bit more about on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also acknowledging that while we're away studying medicine, our countries are also evolving and that we may not be in the know as much as we used to be and kind of like humbling ourselves with that realization. Yeah, that's a really powerful statement because understanding your own country or even the, the, the continent you're from it's an iterative process. Sometimes I feel like being so far away from our home country or places that we want to work at eventually in the future, uh, there's a gap. 
I feel like we are understanding. I always felt like the moment I left China when I was a 16 year old kid, my understanding of China stayed in that state. Maybe now I go back. The medical like community and the medical culture is very different from when I understood it. So I really want to gain some experience like what you did to like go back and see maybe a way rotation just to see how things are, be able to come up with global health efforts or collaboration that will benefit both the U.S. and the country that we want to work in in the future. Um, I was wondering, uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, looking at your achievement and your resume. I, I see a common theme of empowering younger generation through education. You did talk a little bit about you love teaching and that's something you want to do in your clinical setting. I was wondering um, what role has have like education and mentorship played in your life and how do you want to play like pay it forward in the future? Yeah, I think um, I was raised by two parents who are like huge geeks. And so I think for me, they've always been like, if you want to know something like there's so many books and the internet and you just go and get it and I think it made me such like a curious person and always wanting to find out what's happening and then I realized that I didn't want to learn all of these things for myself like I love being able to take something like digest it and help someone else learn that thing and then the smile on their faces when they realize they've learned that thing that seemed really really hard um, and so just being like a, I guess a facilitator of also of knowledge and encouraging people the way my parents did for me and I think in future like that looks really diverse for me. Like, in, like, for example, in pediatrics, like talking to children about their illnesses in a way that they can, you know, digest and understand um, because so that they don't get left out of their health care or even just, you know, adult patients, like medicine can be sometimes so complex. So, you know, being able to distill that without like patronizing or assuming like a certain lack of knowledge is something that I find uh, really powerful too. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, you can go ahead, Raghavi. Oh, I was just going to say that in the process of starting new projects on education or art or whatever new projects that you've been tackling, as a, as a younger student, I just respect that so much. And I was wondering, how do you command attention and credibility for the work that you do, especially for newer projects, um, when you're yourself new in, in the realm? Like, why should anybody trust a new beginner in that sense? How do you um, work with that? Yeah, I actually have the perfect story. One of the things I did during college was start a mentorship program for people trying to get into undergrad. Um, and it was a lot about like appealing for funding and trying to get people to take me seriously as like a, you know, 19 year old. Um, and so I think what was helpful is um, having people in your corner I think people respond to you when you say, hey, like I have this idea, this is what I can do or have done. This is the things I cannot do yet, but I need to learn. And I think when people see that you're honest about, like you're not over inflating your abilities and your knowledge and you're realizing what resources you need to partner to make this a reality, they're very willing to be like, hey, like here are resources, like here's how I can help you. Let's make this a thing. And so, I found it helpful to be very honest uh, that I'm like, and people respond to your passion too. Like if they see you're committed to it, that it's not just a fleeting idea that you've developed a plan for the sustainability for this project. 
they, they will be in your corner because a lot of people now realize that uh, young people is where it's at. Like that they're the ones that are going to be the next generation and they have a lot of energy too to carry out these plans. I would say never be afraid to put forward ideas um, and just be cognizant of what are the resources you need to make that idea a reality. That's awesome. So what I'm hearing is you don't need to have a fully baked project that's out year one, year two, year three to start, right? I think that's what that's what paralyzes a lot of people to even begin. Yeah, I would say be prepared, like have have a concrete plan, uh, but you don't have to have everything figured out. Like it can be impossible because things will come up that you don't know. But if you have people that will help you flesh out that idea and then progress it to the next stage, I think that's fine. Yeah, it's like a reiterative process. No one ever has an idea that stays the same, that's executed the same way it started. I think that would be really useful for personally me and also our listeners. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And that is just so true. Just starting, it's it's just the hardest part. And once you get started, got started and you start like walking, making baby steps, you know, it will come together. Even if you're like writing an essay, like the hardest part is opening the word document. <laughs> once you get over that hurdle, you're like, oh, it wasn't that hard after all. You start writing a few sentences and then it comes together. So for anyone listening, if there's any um, passion project that you really want to, you know, to put out into the universe, like this is your opportunity. This is your moment. Whatever idea that you have, grasp it. You know, I there's this book that I was not li- reading, but listening to. It's called um, Unbreakable by Daniel Habib. He's a really like big writer in the Latin American community. And um, he talked a little bit about, you know, li- like life being a train and like you're standing there at the station and the train is coming and you, you got to get on that train. Once the train goes, it's goes, it's gone. Like that train is gone. Like you can't catch a train that's already passed your station. So if you're at that station, get on the train. Um, so anyone listening, if you have an idea, this is your moment, go put that idea out into the universe. Get on the train. <laughs> and I would say Shade and I were, you know, we grasped the opportunity, like the F1 pod was one of these train stop. We just got on and in the beginning, you know, we didn't know what we, we kind of have an idea and a blueprint, but it was the courage to get on that train really took us, um, you know, now we're a second season. So yeah, just want to reiterate what everyone has been saying. Believe in yourself. However, be prepared. Uh, you know, it's the fine balance of being confident and and having that preparation ahead of time is what going to carry you forward with the project. Um, I was wondering, do we want to maybe uh, shift forward to something more interesting and fun? But I wait, yeah. Zach. Are you saying everything we were doing was like, interesting <laughs> and fun? No, it's something less me. like. No, le- something less like inspiring, but more like let's get to know everyone. Um, you mean you mean messy? That's the word you were looking for. You wanted to start something messy. Yeah, exactly. In a very uh, F one pod organ, like you know, nice way of saying it. But let's start with something not like really that messy. But if let's imagine this, I really love this question. If you were to fly on the wall of the medical school admissions office and listening into mm-hmm. your evaluation whether or not you should get in or not. That meeting that determined the rest of your five years. Um, what do you think is the one thing they that made them decide to admit you? Hmm. Ooh, this is tough. Right? Um, I really love that yeah. question. <laughs> huh. um, 
I would say perhaps it was like my thinking, like my ability to think very complex very quickly like I feel like my mind sometimes operates like way faster than I actually speak and so um sometimes I like I'm, I'm able to like connect things very quickly and rapidly that otherwise may not have been connected and and I think that was what like Stanford Medicine for example had the MMI and people usually hate it but I love being able to like think really fast on my feet and I hated talking about myself like all the interviews <laughs> where it was just like a panel just because you, you I felt like I was on the spot and they're like tell me about yourself I'm like who am I <laughs> but like who I am is like someone who thinks interesting things and like makes bizarre connections um, and I think that helps has helped me problem solve really well. And so I think that would be what I hope they saw in me. <laughs> What's your next messy question, Zach? <laughs> oh, okay. My next messy question can get really messy in it. Um, I know you and Shade live together. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so um, yeah, how has it been? Well, she has a lot of plans. Um, <laughs> is that a complaint that I'm hearing? It's just she she doesn't she has specific requirements for the plans. And so uh, like okay. we're afraid to bring in plans that don't fit the requirements. Because <laughs> oh. then you have like your crappy plans and then Shade's amazing, well taken care of plan. And obviously that ruins the aesthetics. So you just decide you cannot be a plant mom. You know, like you just gotta let that dream Today, go. <laughs> you can't plan mom shame other people. Look, I run a very tight ship. <laughs> oh my God. See, that's why like living alone, I can show you. I was going to show you my background. Like, see, when I live alone, I can bring as many plants as I want. And <laughs> they don't look well. They don't look well. That's okay. They look great, actually. <laughs> All right. No, next. it's been a pleasure, actually. <laughs> uh, great. <laughs> I heard Shade was now your highlight at Stanford. I, I <laughs> kind of guessed. It's okay. You guys can bring the croton in. Like, it, it's not a big deal. Like, it can stay outside. <laughs> What's the what's the worst medical advice that you've ever received? Oh, from like another physician or a friend? Okay, another physician. I, I think uh, let me let me think actually. So I once saw a physician in New York actually. Um, I was trying to tell him that my headaches are like getting worse and worse, and his response was like, "Oh, maybe you're just hungry. <laughs> Why don't you go eat something?" I was like. Yeah, I mean, I didn't need to come here for me <laughs> you to tell me that. Um, but I think it just goes to show like how sometimes when like the pain is internal, people don't really take you very seriously. But I didn't go back to see that doctor needless to say. <laughs> yeah, but also I think I read a like a, well, I, I don't think it's one paper, but they explored a lot of like dismissal feeling, especially towards women when they're feeling pain not a soapbox. I just want to put it out there. You know, if you feel dismissed ever by a physician of any sort, you know, you always have the chance, choice and freedom to go somewhere else. But a non-medical advice So my, when I was a kid and like 
I had like a stomach bug or something, my mom would give me Coca-Cola and she like swore by it. <laughs> and then I got to medical school and they're like talking about oral rehydration therapy and like the like specific components, like the ratios that need to be it. I was like, hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm still here, so. <laughs> Hmm. Is it the part when, like, you know, cocaine was still part of that? <laughs> like, when we went to Atlanta, um, we went to the Coca-Cola factory, and they were, like, just, you know, the original, like, recipe, they didn't list it out, of course, but it was containing cocaine, and that's why they <laughs> used it for, like, you know, pain relief. Um, I guess what is one advice that you, like, I guess not advice, even something you, pra- you do, like, as a health thing, or as a health mm-hmm. Thing that you like swore by but you deeply just know it doesn't work but like you still do it <laughs> oh interesting um hmm. let me think Sorry. it doesn't have to be like wrong it could just be something that's not scientifically backed you know with evidence mm, let me think about it mm. oh like I really love eating yogurt like Shadi knows I have like a ton of yogurt all the time and it's like the post-digestion, like, I'm like, oh, look at me putting prebiotics into my body to help digest the food I just ate, uh, <laughs> whereas it's probably just my normal gut bacteria doing their <laughs> thing. <laughs> so I would say that's not it. <laughs> okay, I have the final hot seat question. Um, what's one thing about Stanford that's really overrated? Ooh, it's prestige. Not to say it's not a great school. Wait, let me take it back. Let me take it back. <laughs> let me run back. Um, <laughs> in case anyone is listening to this from Stanford. Um, I think, like, overall, I was never concerned with, like, obviously, it affords you, having Stanford's name affords you a lot of opportunities, don't get me wrong. But I think if you get too caught up in its prestige, you can miss that it's, just like any institution, it has its flaws, it has things that it needs to work on, and so I think I was quickly, I quickly realized, like, it's just another institution with, like, excellent faculty and excellent resources, but also, like, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't go out into the world saying I I came from Stanford, because that actually doesn't, like, mean anything different from anyone who went somewhere else and so I think focusing more on being like the best physician you can be regardless of where you train uh is something that I wanted to put more focus on in my medical medical education rather than where I went to school so. <laughs> my, for my best friend who went to Stanford undergrad he always just say I went under I went undergrad uh, in California <laughs> but mm-hmm. if not Stanford where like maybe one school that you really like actually fell in love with doing medical school like interview trail like you really loved maybe we can give them much like if not Stanford where if not Stanford where um small liberal arts college in small- <laughs> I, that no that was not no like you know I actually had some med schools I really loved when I was interviewing um but like didn't get the chance so I decided to go to a small liberal arts you know <laughs> but like you know if, did you have like some memorable like experience at other medical schools yeah 
I so I actually interviewed Duke has a collaboration with National University of Singapore um, for med school. So I actually interviewed at that school in Singapore. And I totally imagined myself living my life in Singapore and going to med school there. Um, ultimately, I decided not to go, but I think it would have been like an exciting environment. And I'd have to have learned Mandarin and um, it would have like challenged me in different ways. And so I was intrigued by like the kind of person I would have turned out to be if I had gone there. <laughs> Wait, pay for everything to get you there to interview? Yeah, they, uh, so I, my, my college actually funded my trip to Singapore, okay. not them, but they do offer substantial aid for international students um, oh, for awesome. tu like tuition and clubbing and stuff. <laughs> okay. All right. Time is like hitting six o'clock. Uh, is there any like other questions or any other like I don't gems. know life lessons gems that you want to share hmm life quest life gems um let me see the the crown jewel of your life the crown jewel um yeah I, I would just reiterate something I mentioned earlier like don't let things suck out the joy from you like really like you're too sacred uh, for that like keep yourself happy and do the things you still love and treat medicine as a journey not a destination and I think it will you will be less jaded <laughs> uh, and, and you will appreciate that your family and friends will appreciate that and your patients will appreciate that I like how you worked in a pun <laughs> <laughs> no but Thank you so much. This is an awesome one hour. Got to talk with you. Now I feel like I got to know all today's amazing, inspirational friends in Stanford. Now <laughs> it makes me question whether or not I should have gone to Stanford. I would have been so inspired every day. I was just going to thank you all, Zach, Shaday, and Raghavi for an amazing hour. I feel like I've gotten to know you all too. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciated having you here. And you and I are going to talk after this episode. <laughs> Debrief. Wonga, this is what you said wrong. I have to cut out six Wonga, hours. I, I fully support you to move all your plans out. Yeah, I was going to say, vlog or not, you deserve to have your own plans. <laughs> need your own place in that living room. We support you. And if she ever bully you again with your plans, come talk to me. And I'll on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. You got my back. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much. Wow, that was a very inspiring conversation. What did you think of it, Zach? So even though this episode was recorded a while ago, and to be honest with our listeners, this is this was recorded probably a year ago, mm -hmm. but I still remember her incredible energy and so many things that she has touched upon. Yeah. But not only all the things that she has said during our interview, uh, we also got a hold of her personal statement with her permission, of course, and I remember reading it and I remember one of the sentences that she wrote in the personal statement that really echoed what she said during our interview. She wrote, quote, she pushed herself to apply extraordinary creativity and perseverance to dismantle limitations, end quote. And she has definitely achieved that. 
just based on what we have talked to her about, all the things that she has achieved, both at NYU but and also at Stanford. And we're so incredibly proud of what she has and will achieve. Yeah, totally. This was one of the first episodes that we had recorded for season two. And it was my debut episode as a co-host. I remember feeling so nervous about it back then. Um, but I've learned so much from then to now, and I've just gotten like so much more comfortable in this space. So if you know, if you listeners notice a change in my demeanor, that's probably why <laughs> I've just gotten a little more comfortable with the mic and I'm just talking to you all. So take this as a sign, you know, for you listeners to try something new. If you have been thinking about it for a while, a creative project, something to kind of push yourself um, and you might pleasantly surprise yourself with the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. It has been such a pleasure to have you and it was a great honor for me and Shade to look at you grow for sure. And next week, we're finally getting to chat with our very first DO student on our podcast. Her name is Layla Hashimi, and she is currently at Kansas City University College of Medicine. And she was born and raised in Iran and emigrated to Canada at the age of 19. And she obtained her undergraduate degree from York University and got accepted to my school right after college. Yeah, and during this episode, we will also get to hear about what it means to be a DO student and the similarities and differences between MDs and DOs. We'll also get to know her incredible immigration journey and how she managed to learn how to speak English in one year. Um, so stay tuned for that, and we will hope to catch you in two weeks. episodes will be released every other week on Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Make sure you're connected with us on Instagram and Twitter, as we would love to hear from you on social media. Please also give us a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Your support means a lot to us.